Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have a great episode for you guys. Today, we talk about Inter-Miami getting punishment for salary cap manipulation. We talk about the huge managerial carousel in Europe with Inter Milan, Juventus, Real Madrid. It's, it's crazy. We obviously talk about the Europa and Champions League as well. That's along with some U.S. men's national team news and some lower league news as well. Stay tuned for it. But before we get that, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Give the show a follow and a rating wherever you listen to us on. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the final third news and predictions show. We're recording this on the day it's going out. It's a Monday. It's Memorial Day. Uh, Jack, how are you feeling? Uh, I see you're wearing your Chelsea jersey. So, oh, yeah. yeah. How are you feeling this past weekend, this long weekend? Oof. Well, you know, it was a pretty slow weekend. Not much happening, you know, yeah, not really. Definitely, but definitely. Except some man covered 70% of the earth and more. And Golo exactly. Conte, he covered everything and won us the Champions League, as well as Kai Havertz paid back every every euro that that was spent on him. <laughs> it it was incredible. I I it it was a great weekend, except for today, where uh, oh, yes, we'll talk yes. about that in the lower league lowdown uh, about Newport County and how VAR should be in the EFL League Two. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was a pretty big weekend for not just uh the Champions League but for the lower leagues and literally there's so many games going on and we're gonna we're gonna talk all about that we're gonna talk about Chelsea winning we're gonna talk about Villarreal winning we're gonna talk about the U.S. losing in this new format of show that we have going on uh we have decided to uh, change things up with our general format in the different segments that we have uh but before we get to that before we get to explaining that as always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. And also, we're going to be later in this week, we're going to post another bracket challenge. So for those of you who know and were participants in the March Madness bracket challenge that we did, we like to put them on and we're going to do that for the Euro tournament. So just like how with March Madness, you could choose the winners and losers, you can do that with whatever website we use. Uh, for the Euros, you pick the group winners, the second, third, and fourth place, uh, the knockout stage winners, and whoever gets the most points from that in our little group will get a grand prize. So keep an eye out on that. Follow us on at Final Third Show on Twitter for more news on that. But with that, Jack, we have two new segments that are kind of replacing uh, the or two old ones. So why don't you explain what exactly our new segments are? Yeah, well. You know, we wanted to get a little bit more conversation going and make it, you know, sound a little bit natural uh, for when we were talking about some big stories. So instead of the big stories, we have a new segment called the newsroom. And this comes from, you know, in any newsroom where people or journalists are putting together stories, they're trying to figure out how to discuss those stories to bring in the most perspectives and try and create a coherent information blob to send out to the public. So that's exactly what we're going to try and replicate discussing three or four big topics. This week we have three big topics that we're going to be discussing mm-hmm. and giving you some background on it. So we can have a little bit more conversation in there. And, you know, I, uh, you might remember the real quick segment that we had where we just had a few quick stories. Now 
we're going to have something called the news in 90 where we have 90 seconds to get through stories. If you've ever seen SNL, it's kind of like weekend update on there where there's a few more jokes thrown in there so we can try and be comedians. Uh, We'll see how it works. We are much funnier than SNL, just so everyone knows. So yeah, yeah. So keep that expectations very, very high when we get very high. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Jack, why don't you say we get started with uh, the first story in the newsroom? Let's do it. All right. Well, we're starting off in MLS, so we're starting off with a more local story before we get into the more uh, international ones. And that is Inter-Miami gets their punishment for salary cap manipulation. And I have basically what happened here, Jack, if you want to take a listen, because I don't know. Right. Uh, have you been paying attention? To I've been paying attention more? to it. I, it's, it's all about accounting, and I oh, love yes. accounting, so yes, I, I've, yes. I've been paying attention. Yeah, but for those of you who don't know, Last year, Inter Miami signed French international Blaise Matuidi to a TAM deal, meaning that he could be paid up to $1.6 million a year and not be considered a designated player. A team can have a maximum of three designated players, or DPs, for which the salary can be unlimited. In reality, his salary was determined to be higher than the limit for TAM players, and thus should have been a DP. Miami already had three DPs, so they were over the legal amount. And not only that, but Andres Rios should have been also a DP last year. So they had five DPs instead of three. And in addition to that, during this entire investigation, MLS just so happened to find out that Inter-Miami were underreporting salary numbers for another three players. So they're in some kind of deep water. Jack, do you know the punishment that they were doled out by MLS HQ? Well, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know it was really severe. It looks like uh, there was a $2.2 million fine. Yes. They can't, uh, their allocation money every year has been limited by a further $2.2 million. And yes. their owner was also fined, you know, for him, it's really just a drop in the bucket uh-huh. of 250000 Uh But th- those are all the ones that I'm aware of, at least. There's also an additional one, and that is their former sporting director, and uh, he went to Atlanta United, and they fired him when this news broke. But uh, Paul McDonough, yeah, McDonough, Mm. he got suspended for two seasons, so until 2023, due to him kind of being one of the masterminds around this entire debacle. Uh, But Jack, like with these punishments in mind, uh, do you think this is severe enough? Because we did actually talk about in the big stories a couple weeks ago when this news broke, what their punishment should be. We were talking maybe points deductions, but do you think allocation money reductions and a fine is severe enough? I think, if anything, this is more severe than a points deduction, really, uh, if, yeah, you're, maybe. if you're thinking about it. Because that allocation money limits, the, uh, like decreasing the amount they can spend every year. That's right. big. That is big. That probably makes it so they can't be competitive for at least two years yeah. now. And, you know, uh, so I think this is, if anything, more severe because if you're if you're taking away money, that that's what that's what makes a sport run, really. Like you can you can say anything else. But at the end of the day, it's all about money. And without it, Miami can't compete. They're not going to be able to draw in players like, you know, there was talk of like, ooh, they're going to draw. They're going to bring in David Luiz and William. No. Not no, anymore. No. Not a chance. They uh, even if they even if they had DP slots available, or if they even had spots available, they wouldn't be able to afford them anymore. Yeah. And so that that's the kind of thing that uh, that this has done. 
So I, I think that it is more severe, but it is fair because oh, they, yeah. they manipulated the accounting numbers, you know, uh, <laughs> and that usually, I mean, in, in any other world, manipulating numbers to this degree would be a much more severe thing. Like you would be looking at like prison sentences. So they're, they're pretty lucky, I guess, that, that they're, they just got fined and suspended. So I, I guess that, that, that's my take on it, at least. What, what do you think? Do you think it's severe enough, too severe? Or? I, I don't think it's too severe. I, I think it's nice because, you know, we like to talk about the big picture here. It sets a very, very strong precedent for MLS right. in the future because this is the first time this has ever really illegally happened. Maybe there is some stuff that we don't know about, but for this punishment to be this severe it kind of sets a tone that MLS is not going to mess around. And that's, you know, a pretty good sign from the league because it's not just a fine. If it was a 2 million fine, I would be saying it's not, it's not strong enough because, you know, with outside money, these owners are billionaires, $2 million. It, in reality, if they really want that, they can make that be a drop in the bucket. But allocation money is limited. You only get a certain amount of allocation money per year. So to reduce it by 2.2 million over two years, like they can't buy down high salary players anymore. They're gonna have to offload a lot of players in order to become salary cap compliant. I mean, that's that's huge. That's like what and Inter Miami were trying to do, which is be a very strong brand, build a good identity, is kind of in the trash can right now until 2024 when they can do whatever they want with their allocation money again. And that is a huge blow for David Beckham and that ownership group. And that's something I, I could see as a net good thing, because if you cheat like that, you should be punished. Right. And the fact, the fact that they got 10th place with five oh designated players is just that that's just hilarious to me. Like that. Oh, it, it's it, it's hilarious. It really is, especially when you consider the irony that David Beckham is the player responsible yeah, for the yes. creation of the DP rule. <laughs> like that, that extra level of irony mixed in with it is just astonishing. And like people were like, oh, 10th place for, for them in their first season. That's a solid enough start. But then you consider all of the advantages they had. They had like, you know, World Cup winners and finalists on the roster uh -huh. and yet somehow finish 10th. I mean, you can take that in two ways. One, it's just incredibly sad and shows a really bad story. Of, of like bad management for inter miami or two maybe mls is just a lot more competitive than uh, all of these european top players think and like oh yeah you know, maybe maybe the idea of thinking of it as a retirement league is a little outdated because if if you have world cup winners and finalists struggling to get like into the playoffs in mls regardless of the manager or player or like players around you then then maybe it is a little bit more competitive and that that might that could be used as maybe a bit of a strength i guess all right all right let's move on to the second story because i i hate talking about inter miami for that <laughs> long let's move on to the managerial carousel that's happening in europe right now we have a lot of different managers moving from teams coming back to their former teams uh moving on from their team for the second time uh jack which of these managers would you like to talk about first well let, let's talk with probably the biggest one in my opinion antonio conte leaving inter milan sure and you know uh he he chose to leave on his own accord it sounds like it it sounds like the front office of inter milan was happy with him but he decided to leave because quote 
the or not quote i don't have the exact quote but uh <laughs> basically because the front office wasn't interested in building a project with him and they didn't have a clear vision and so you know uh that that that's pretty interesting given that he won them their first league title in nine years so yeah. aj what what are your thoughts on uh on conte leaving inter is that is that like you know a fair reason to leave or like should he have stuck around or what what do you think well first of all i think this is a a bombshell of a news drop right here because obviously they just won the scudetto uh, this past year for the first time in a decade and I, I i think i think it's fair on both sides however i think it's going to be ultimately depending on what your content goes a bad move for also both sides because i mean the reason why there is a disconnect between inter and conte is because inter are in a bad financial situation right now because their investors are from china and the chinese government is uh, you know, having investments pulled back into China so they can't put as much money into Inter as they want. And so now Inter Milan has to sell $80 million worth of players, net profit even, right. in order to reach financial stability. So when you look at those reasons, you're like, yeah, I mean, I kind of understand. Inter need that money and Conte obviously doesn't want to not win he wants to build a project that can win the champions league so i definitely understand where he's coming from uh what what do you think of it and do you know who's going to replace him because if i am reading the rumors correctly there is like someone who is in the front running uh well first of all i'm gonna i'm gonna start with 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 that last question you asked i have no idea who's gonna replace him i have i have some theories about what could happen but nothing that i i think is like really set but uh as far as like if this is good or not i don't think this is a i i don't think this is good for inter milan because you know instead of you know it's all about these risky investments and you know bad deals and like player acquisitions you know in order to reach the level of like stability that they need they'd need to sell Romelu Lukaku for around a hundred million, which is his, his asking price. That nets them sixty million profit. And Ashraf Hakimi for sixty million, uh, which he was bought for forty million. That would give them the eighty million in, in net profit they would need. Uh, so I I think that and if you sell those two, is that team even good anymore? Because those are like the two standout players. Like sure, you still have Perisic, Martinez, Handanovic, uh, Skriniar. But you're missing your top goal scorer and like a right back that seems to score goals and assist uh-huh. them like every other game. So if you lose those two, this team is not as good. It, it goes down a level. And, you know, Conte, he, he could try and find replacements for them. But like, where where are they going to come from? And, you know, there there were all these ideas of like, oh, yeah, uh, they're, they're going to get like Emerson or Marcos Alonso from Chelsea. Like Conte wanted that, which I would have loved because that would have helped Chelsea a lot as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it it makes sense for him to leave because I, I, I know that the kind of thing he wants to do is build something that can become a winning machine, not mm-hmm. some not like producing a miracle win or something because he can do that. But after that, it's it's got to be sustainable. And if they're not going to give him the resources, it makes sense that he leaves. Yeah. And the person replacing him, because uh, I, I guess you haven't heard, and it's kind of gone under the radar, is Benevento's 
uh, Filippo Inzaghi, who boasts oh, a 42% right, right. win rate with Benevento, which is, you know, a small team. So it's, mm-hmm. th- th- that's, that's pretty okay. And it is reported that he's actually, he sees Lukaku as someone that they, they, they can't move, they can't sell. But they are looking to move Hakimi for, get this, exactly 80 million which is oh wow okay know, uh, a bit higher than what people would probably give a defender like him but Inter Milan are kind of down bad right now but yeah. uh where where do you think Conte goes from here because there are some managerial openings across Europe right now do you think he takes one one of those yeah, well, I'm going to segue right across to where I think he, he's going to go, right. and that's Real Madrid. Yep. Uh, Real Madrid seems like the best location. They are in need of a rebuild of a new project, and Antonio Conte is exactly the kind of guy they would need to do that. But the reason why Real Madrid might be an option is because Zinedine Zidane is leaving there for the second time in three years. <laughs> so nice. he's already left once after winning the Champions League three times in a row. Uh, this time, no Champions League one La Liga title, and that's it. So much less successful than the other time. But he is also leaving Real Madrid because they don't want to build a project with him either. <laughs> he feels that, that, uh, that they don't trust him anymore. And it, it's kind of ironic that, that like, you, know, you, you, you get that because Real Madrid, it seems like, are willing to invest crazy amounts of money no matter what their financial situation is, which, you know, uh, they, they, they just got... Uh, David Alaba or David Alaba mm-hmm. in uh, and he's going to be paid a lot. Uh, they're thinking about bringing and killing Mbappe Ooh. somehow. I don't know where they, where this money is coming from, but it's coming from somewhere apparently. And like, you know, all of, all of these kinds of things, it seems like they were more than willing to back Zidane, but he feels like uh, he was slighted that there were messages released by the press that, uh, and like uh, by the hierarchy to kind of make uh, kind of so doubts about him but yeah i mean aj what do you think about zidane uh leaving i i guess i mean also about uh where do you think conte is going to go next since i kind of jumped abruptly between those but oh no uh, i mean i i was also going to say antonio conte should go to real madrid okay i think i think if it's anything that real madrid needs it's a drill sergeant like Antonio Conte because right. where they are right now, it's very disorganized because it's been a tough year for them. It's their first trophyless season since 2010. Zidane is now out. Core players like Ramos, Modric, and Lucas Vasquez are out of contract. Nacho, Isco, Marcelo could be out too. For the first time in their history, not a single one of their players made Spain's Euro squad. And to cap it all off, their stadium just caught on fire this past week. Like that's... It's very rough for them. How fitting, how fitting to describe their season. Yeah, literally. And Zidane, I I think not, it can't all be on him. And it wasn't, in my opinion, because, you know, the pandemic kind of hurt their transfer policy. So they weren't able to bring in as many players as they wanted. There was injury nightmares. We talked about that a lot. They they were very, very down bad due to those injuries. Uh, you had huge contracts from Marcelo, Hazard, and Isco that made it hard to allocate resources effectively. And they were reliant on an old midfield and Kareem Benzema to save their season. Like, that's not the real good recipe for success. And I think Antonio Conte, you, he comes in there, he cleans stuff up. I think given the backing that he could be getting, he could be a lot more successful for Real Madrid than Zidane was with this weird, wacky season that you know, admittedly, he also didn't manage pretty well. Uh, Jack, 
do you see Conte working out in Real Madrid and you know moving on from that? Where is Zidane going? Well, I, I think I could see him it working out for him, honestly, because, you, you know, as we've said several times, wherever he goes, it, it just turns into a winning machine. And like, you know, like you said, actually, Modric signed a contract extension. Oh, yeah. So he's yeah. staying. He's staying at uh, Real Madrid. And, you know, that midfield, it's getting old. But Kroos, Modric and Casemiro is a good midfield. It's it's top top three midfields in the world, probably. If if I'm being honest, so I I mean, if if that's if that's an aging and bad midfield, that that's <laughs> that's a pretty good situation to be in, uh, if you're Antonio Conte and like Benzema's still on fire. All you really need is to shore up the defense, and you've got a winning machine again. And honestly. they're doing that with Alaba, so exactly. So I Maybe. I think I think that he could be the one to get them into shape. And then where does Zidane go? I've heard a few rumors about it. Um, a lot of things I've heard is that. He's going to take a break, maybe wait out yeah. until the end of the 2022 World Cup when Didier Deschamps contract mm-hmm. with France is up. And, you know, who knows if, if France has a really bad euro? I hope not. Uh, but, you know, if, if they do, then he could be next in line, like a, a, another another really French icon like Deschamps, really. Uh, he, he could take over for them. But otherwise, like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I could see him managing in England. I'm not sure if, if it so. would work out. I I don't think it would. Uh, you know, maybe if he goes there, maybe Harry Kane will stay at Tottenham. <laughs> if, if he goes to Tottenham, I, that'd but be terrible. I, I'm not, oh. Yeah, I'm not. It would it would be so weird to see Zinedine Zidane managing in the Europa Conference League. I I don't think that's the most likely thing. Maybe. Maybe there's some weird exchange, maybe more managerial carousels go around where, you know, he goes into PSG and Pochettino goes back to Spurs or something like that. I have no idea, but it it, it, see, it would seem like I, I think most likely is he takes a break. Yeah, I think he takes a break and I do think he will be the next in line for the French national team. Uh, World Cup, I, I don't I don't think they're, they're going to have a bad Euro uh, cycle. I, I also don't think that France is going to fire Deschamps even if they have like a pretty poor uh, Euro because the World Cup's literally in just over a year and a half. So true. You know, we'll see with that. But let's move on to Juventus so we can start to close this uh, section out. Uh, Pirlo is out. Allegri is back with Juventus. After losing out on the Scudetto for the first time in a decade, Juventus legend Andre Pirlo has been sacked. And this is despite winning the Supercoppa Italiana and the Coppa Italia. And taking his place is Max Allegri, a manager who has won five Serie A titles with the team. Jack, was Pirlo getting sacked the right move? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he, it, it's, it, it's been really strange because, you know, over the past, you know, two or three years, we, we've seen a lot of this trend of like really good former players coming back for their clubs and trying to manage like their their beloved club for the first time and it just does not work out very well. We've seen it with Chelsea, of course. Uh Juventus now. We we're seeing it with Arsenal. They though they seem not to be willing to give up on, on Arteta. Right. We've seen it with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at United. I mean, it's it's been all over, really. And uh <laughs> I I I think like it's the right move. He he clearly wasn't ready for this. He took over the remember the like u15 the u23s co- u23 sorry yes. uh coaching job before like 11 days before being named as the juventus mm-hmm. manager he that didn't even is... finish his coaching licenses yet exactly 
Yeah, exactly. Like that, that was a pretty terrible decision. And like, when you have that, like at least like Frank Lampard for all his flaws, at least he had his coaching badges and had a year of experience before. Uh, but like, this was just a bad move and it, it, it was clearly just like a caretaker role because they really didn't have uh-huh. anything. Uh, so, I mean, he did his job, I guess, kind of. He won a trophy or two, two trophies. trophies. Yeah. But they failed to win the Scudetto for the first time in nine years That at, at Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. That, that's bad. And it, it, it needed to change. And Allegri coming in, you know, will he bring, be able to bring them back to, to their former glory? AJ, what do you think about that? I think, yes, I think Allegri is kind of a continuation of the Juventus mantra. Winning isn't important. It's the only thing that counts. He's going to focus on the club's built-in identity of slow buildup, playing out of the back, and heavy use of talented, deep-lying midfielders. But most importantly, I think he shifts this team's culture to be a better. We had news come out from a lot of their players like uh, Dybala and Weston McKennie kind of say that Pirlo's management of the team, both on the field and off the field, was kind of subpar. And Allegri is known for building a positive culture that gets players to buy into a central goal. And I don't think Pirlo was even near qualified enough to handle this team that has, you know, to be honest, huge personalities, one huge one in particular. And I I think that Allegri is the guy for the job. All right, so let's go on to our final story in the newsroom, which is the Europa and Champions League finals that happened this past week. Uh, Jack, let's save your team winning for the end. And let's talk about Villarreal, another uh, team that won a a Europa League this this year. That's Villarreal beating Manchester United to win the Europa League. Jack, what are your thoughts on that final and how it turned out? Well, I mean, you know, Villarreal, first of all, we have to we have to say one of the the biggest things, which is this is their first major right. trophy in, in 98 years. That is massive for them. The La Submarina Amaria, as they're called, the Yellow Submarine. Uh, they they have won their first trophy against a European giant, really, maybe a sleeping giant, but st- nonetheless, a good team. And that is absolutely massive for them. The way they won it, too was probably one of the most exciting finals mm-hmm. that you could have watched, despite it only being 1-1 in, uh, after extra time. You know, that penalty shootout, 11-10, it was decided on. Everyone, uh-huh. everyone scored except for David De Gea. And to be fair to him, you know, he's a goalkeeper. He, it, it shouldn't really have to be down to him to score a penalty to win the game, to, win, to keep the game going. But even then, like... Villarreal, they they deserved this. They outplayed United on the night. They mm-hmm. they were, and I I think like on days like this, people clown on Harry Maguire a lot. I clown on him a lot, but him missing in that defensive line, it showed how bad he was missed. Right, and like the, that defense had absolutely fell asleep. Lindelof was uh, went out to t- uh, to like go grab a, a bite to eat or something while. <laughs> while Jared Moreno crept in on the inside of the box and just got right past him, slotted it past De Gea. Uh, Cavani was a poacher as usual, but it, it, it was just an exciting game. And uh, big props to Villarreal. And of course, Mr. Goodevening himself, Unai Emery, for being the first manager right. to win four Europa League titles, which, or 
Is it five? No, it's four. It's, it's four. four. It's four. He's been in five finals. And mm-hmm. He's won four. Uh, so, Mister, I, I think we need to call it the the Unite Emory League instead of the UEFA Europa League. We can keep the same acronym, the UEL, but uh, I, I think it's it's time we call it the Unai Emory League. Exactly. Exactly. I, I will say, like, we, we do have to give credit to Villarreal here, like, a lot of credit. That Moreno goal, beautiful. Cavani tied it up uh, to make it 1-1. Penalty shootout was just magnificent. Uh, you said, you know, it shouldn't be down to De Gea. At the same time, everyone should practice their penalties. True, I, I think, true. I think if it's anything, when it comes down to this, we saw Ederson before the UCL final <laughs> practice his penalties, and honestly, that's, that's the move. That is the move. Uh, Paul Scholes, I don't know if you saw this, uh, said before the game, quote, you're playing Villarreal here. You're playing a team that finished seventh in a really poor La Liga. Manchester United should win this game comfortably. <laughs> kind of kind of made me a little bit mad. And I also heard a lot of commentators saying that this was a real David and Goliath story here. And yes, yeah. you know, that is, that is an apt way to describe it. I used that too last week when I was talking about the game. But the way that they were framing it made it sound like David, Goliath in this case, I mean Villarreal in this case, had no chance against Goliath, Manchester United. But that's kind of stupid. I mean, Villarreal aren't pushovers. And let's look at the facts. Unai Emery, as you said, won this competition three times before this. And since 2000, every time a Spanish team was in the Europa slash Champions League final, a Spanish team has won winning 16 consecutive finals against foreign opposition. All right, so congratulations to Unai Emery and Villarreal for winning. It was a great match, and we hope to see them potentially do well in the Champions League. And speaking of that, let's talk about the Champions League final that just happened this past Saturday. That's Chelsea beating Man City to win the Champions League for only the second time in their club history. I'm going to let Jack take over on this one because this is his team. He was very excited when he was texting me this past Saturday. Jack, <laughs> how are you feeling? What do you think of the game? Oh, I'm feeling I, I'm feeling fantastic about it. It, <laughs> it, was, it was it was a great performance from Chelsea. The first half, we really went after it, made a lot of chances. I mean, there were only three shots on target in the entire game. Uh, two of them from Chelsea, one from City at, uh, at the very beginning of the game. But, you know, Chelsea just bossed it. They, they showed up on, on the day and, you know, they were aided in part by Pep Guardiola overthinking tactics and right. not playing a defensive midfielder, which was perplexing to a lot of City fans. And, it, and they really paid the price for it. It could have been a calculated gamble that paid off for him. But, you know, it, it just allowed Kai Havertz to exploit all the space in like a free, like false nine role. And, you know, it, it was just a great performance by everyone. I, I if you didn't see on our Twitter I released a video talking about all the performances of everything, but there's so many great narratives in this. Like, you know, Edward Mendy, first African mm-hmm. goalkeeper to win the Champions League. And he was he was looking for unemployment in 2014. And seven years later, he's lifting the biggest trophy in club football. You look at Rudiger and uh, Christensen and Azpilicueta, like players who were who were kind of being pushed out of the side by Frank Lampard at the beginning of the season, came back and played major roles in this. Thiago Silva and Thomas Tuchel, of course, who lost the trophy last year uh, with PSG, coming back to win it the next year around. And of course, I, I'm going to bring him up again. N'Golo Kante, the best midfielder in the world. Ballon right. d'Or contender, probably. It, uh, I I think he I think he probably deserves it if uh, if he wins the Euros. 
he he's gotta get it like and he just controlled the entire midfield anytime city came through he was there to stop it and you know and Jorginho not you know he 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 was probably the worst performer on the field which says a lot uh give it given that he was playing pretty well and our fullbacks Ben Chilwell Reese James doing everything neutralizing everyone Ben Chilwell pretty much marked Riyad Mahrez out of the game Reese James pocketed Raheem Sterling and the front three like you know you can give Timo Werner stick for missing chances but I the will, thing yeah. is he he created the space for Kai Havertz to mm-hmm. to make that mm-hmm. goal he created it because he goes off to the left Ruben Diaz goes over to track him and uh, you know you have Kyle Walker further down marking Mason Mount Mason Mount plays the pass through uh, Zinchenko falls asleep Kai Havertz goes right through and scores the goal so you know, whether like that's why I say he can't be a flop because everything he does, no matter what, he contributes in a positive way. Uh, I, I had to take another dig at you for, for calling uh. him the flop of the season. Had to. But, you know, I, I, I do feel kind of bad for Man City for one reason. And it's Sergio Aguero. You know, he he is a city legend and it's so it's it's disappointing for him and city fans, I'm sure, that his last game for them is a loss in a champions league final. Right. But you know, it, it, it's tough for him, but you know, there, there was just so much that could have done better, but AJ, I'm going to, I'm going to swing it over to you. What do you think Pep Guardiola could have done better to, you know, kind of take this final more to Chelsea and potentially win it? Oh, well, I I do think it's a case of him overthinking. And I, I think a lot of it is city are so used to, being able to press, being able to get the ball right away. And they, even though Pep was trying to adapt, they didn't really adapt to that. And for that reason, City had the lowest XG in a game they've had this entire season. And that is in large part due to Tuchel and Chelsea's defensive management, being able to control the the flow of the game really well. And I think, you know, I, I think there's a crazy stat that uh, Pep Guardiola has tried like, three different types of midfielder shapes in order to try to win the midfield. Unfortunately, N'Golo Conte came out on top in all three of those games. And I think a lot of it comes down to that type of management, the, the management in order to uh, control the game. He had to come up with a different game plan that adapted to Chelsea's ability to control the ball. And that just didn't happen. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to add on some more storylines here. Uh, another reason why I was sad. I mean, I was happy that Chelsea won. I was actually cheering for them this game, yeah. but I was sad to see Kevin De Bruyne go down injured, uh, acute nose bone fracture and left orbital fracture. I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds kind of painful. I it's a, it's an eye. It's a, it's around the eye. Okay. Okay. Right? That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and he left the, the field crying. It was, it was very, very disheartening to see tough low for city and for him, obviously, uh, and that made the control go even in more into Chelsea's uh, hands. And I mean, it, we can talk about how Timo Werner's a flop, but, you know, in this game and in some of the games this season, he's done pretty well. And Kai Havertz as well. We had him at the end of the game say, like, I don't care that I was 50 million. <laughs> we, we won the Champions League. Yeah. Great, great. And I will mention Christian Pulisic, he did. Unfortunately, missed that kind of a, a tough shot given his uh, acceleration there. But uh, he became the first American to play, and well, he was not, he's the first 
first American to both play. First U.S. men's national team player to yeah. play and win. Play yeah. and win. Because we've had one win before, but he didn't play. Yeah, he was an American uh, with uh, Dortmund in 1997. Yes, but he, yes. D- he played for Serbia at the senior level. Yes. Did he? I don't even know. Yes. Yeah. But, I, re- I read up on it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. So we had all these great storylines. Uh, Jack. Chelsea. Sky, is sky the limit for them? Can they win the Premier League next year? Are they going to win the Club World Cup next year? Are they going to win the UEFA U, uh, S- Super League? A uh, Super Cup, not Super the League. The Super League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, uh, they are now eligible for these competitions. They have maybe three or more, three to four players that they could potentially sign to upgrade th- their, uh, their depth. Can they win all the trophies next season? Absolutely, they can. I mean, they, they won the hardest trophy there is to win, really. Like, realistically, the Champions League is the toughest trophy to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you win that, anything's possible. And think about it, think about it like this. Next season is a, is a full season with Thomas Tuchel. No first-half Lampard syndrome. Uh, but, like, you know, he has a chance to fully put it out his preferred system. There's rumors he wants to go to a 4-2-4 system, which I think would be pretty fantastic. I think it would work really well. Uh, and, you know... He could he could really take the league by storm. He beat Manchester City three times in six weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's beaten Liverpool. He's beaten he's beaten pretty much every big team. The only teams that he's like lost to, or one of the teams that he has lost to, West Brom, isn't going to be in the division next year. So we're safe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I I I think they can win it. They can win the Super Cup. I, I I can back us against Villarreal at least. We've been Unai Emery in European competition before as Chelsea. Uh, and you know, I, I think, I think they can hopefully win the club world cup this time around because they failed every other time they've been there, which is only once to be fair, but that we lost to, um, uh, I want to say it was Santos from Brazil in in that one, but yeah, I, I hope we can, I think sky's the limit. I'm being hopeful. All right. Well, those are the big picture looks at the champions league and the Europa league. We're going to see if Chelsea can actually do it. And we'll see if, Manchester City can back, you know, uh, back themselves to win it next year or the year after that. I, I think it's a, it, it's not a matter of if, but when Manchester City yeah. eventually oh, yeah, win the sure. Champions League. Well, that's with Pep Guardiola or in the future without him. Let's move on to our new uh, section, new segment, News in 90, where we're going to go over uh, some stories in hopefully less than 90 seconds. We're going to try to uh, in the next coming weeks, get as many stories in this 90 seconds as possible. Uh, Jack, I'm going to put 90 seconds on the clock. I'll say oh time when okay. we reach it. Uh, are you ready? We'll, we'll trade off uh, with these stories. Yeah, let's go. All right. In three, two, one, go. It was announced today that the Copa America is moving to Brazil due to spiking COVID cases in Colombia and Argentina. So now we can watch Leo Messi fail to win another international trophy, but this time in sunny Sao Paulo. That's great. David Alaba, still only 28, is moving to Real Madrid to shore up their defense. He'll be making 12 million euros a year, but it's UEFA's fault that Real Madrid can't financially sustain themselves. Right, Perez? Yeah, and Ibrahima Konate is moving to Liverpool. The French youth international is the newest CB to don the Liverpool kit. Only 36 million euros from Leipzig. Him and Van Dijk are going to be a scary pairing. It's crazy how Liverpool have had one off year and they make smart investments to get better and Arsenal are just trying their best, I guess. (laughs) 
Olivia Moultrie is a 15-year-old female football phenom who has taken the NWSL to court because they won't grant her eligibility to play. Despite in the men's and women's leagues around the world, 15-year-olds can play. Now a judge has ruled that, yeah, she is actually eligible, but NWSL is dragging their feet on it once more. Oh boy, for a top women's league, they are really bad at growing the female game sometimes. Yeah, and Cruz Azul beat, made history beating Santos Laguna in the Liga MX Clasura finals, ending their 24-year title drought. Congratulations to them. If only Tottenham had their same luck. Ah, yep, and Aguero has signed for FC Barcelona from City on a free chance where he'll look to boost Barca's attack and pair him with a good friend and Argentinian national teammate, Leo Messi. Just what Barcelona needs, more players past their prime. That's one minute and 30 seconds right there. <laughs> almost almost got cut off right there. Could hear your the acceleration. End. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to miss. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. But we got there. Those are six stories. Maybe maybe next week we can go for seven, but that is the news in 90 six quick fire stories for you next next week we got them we got them but now let's move on to a segment that we know and love and that's jack's lower league lowdown jack is this the final iteration of the lower league lowdown for now potentially we'll 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 see about it we'll see if there's any more uh developments with the darby county story and uh with wickham but for now this is probably going to be the last one focused on europe at least maybe we'll maybe we'll bring it over to focus on the u.s but this is going to be a really quick one because there were a lot of promotion battles that i have to get through to talk about who's going to be joining teams in in higher up divisions so first of all i'm going to go to the efl uh and Brentford, Blackpool, and Morecambe are going up, and there's big stories with each of these. Brentford are playing in the top division for the first time since 1947. Out of all of the Brentford fans who were watching them at Wembley play against Swansea, only two were alive when they were playing in the top division last. So that is some history made for them. Uh, You know, Brentford fully deserved it. They dominated this game. This was one of their best games. Ivan Tony probably could have had a hat trick in the first half alone. He rattled the underside of the crossbar, just got unlucky with a bounce. He scored a penalty. He has an, a really incredible penalty technique, by the way, just one step forward and just slots it past the keeper every time it looks like. And, you know, it, it was a really good game for them. And Blackpool, you know, they, they were in the Premier League a few years ago, but they're making their way back up into the championship uh, the Australian Kenny Dougal was their hero uh, this time. He scored a brace in the 34th and 54th minutes, but it was almost really bad for Blackpool as they scored an own goal in the first minute of nice. play. It was a pretty calamitous own goal, too. But despite this, Lincoln City, I talked about how they had one of the best attacks in the league uh, like last week. They put zero shots on target. In this in this playoff game, this was their worst game by far in in the league, and it couldn't have come at a worse time for them. But congratulations to Blackpool. They really outplayed them. Kenny Dougal, the Australian, is what was just a hero in this game. It it was really incredible. And Morecambe, heartbreakingly for me, are going up. VAR should be in the EFL League, too, I guess. Uh, Their lone goal came from a penalty in the 107th minute. I don't think it should have been a penalty because the contact came from outside the box and the player fl- flopped over in the box. But whatever. Unfortunately, New- Newport have their second playoff collapse, making it to a final in two years. No. So, yeah, this is this is the second time they've made it to a final. They made it there in 2019. They made it there this time. 
and they've lost again. So that that really hurts. But hopefully they can do well next season. I'm really hoping so because I really like Newport County. But Morecambe, this is their first time getting above the fourth tier in, in their history. They've wow. been around for over 100 years. They've usually been a non-league team. They've only been in the EFL for 14 years, and they're going back up. This is this is a real fairy tale story for those fans. And, you know, that that that's kind of cool, I guess. I would have preferred Newport County going up, but whatever. And next, we're going to go over to France real quick as Nantes survive uh, in Ligue 1 despite a quick scare in the playoff final. They won 2-1 in the first leg uh, away from home uh, against Toulouse. And they lost 1-0 at home. And Toulouse was putting on a lot of shots on goal. And they survived, barely, on away goals to stay up in one more season at least. That, that, was, that was not very good by them. They, they did not perform up to standards, really, in that other game. Although they were helped because Toulouse went down to 10 men towards the end of that game. And by that point, it was pretty much over. Uh, and then, going over to the Bundesliga... FC Cologne absolutely battered Holstein Kiel. There was a flurry of goals in the first half. Holstein Kiel uh, uh, had their deficit taken away. They were up 1-0 in the first leg. It got taken away in three minutes. They responded 90 seconds later with a goal themselves. But then, of course, Cologne came back, scored two in 10 more minutes. And by then, they were just on their way. They ended up winning 5-1 at Holstein Kiel's home ground too. It was absolutely crushing for them, but ultimately they were in quarantine for most of March and into April as well. And they had so many fixtures in in May that they had to play. And ultimately that fatigue just really caught up to them and they just couldn't cope with Cologne this time around. Uh, so that that's heartbreaking for them, but I, I have a feeling they'll return and they might, they could achieve automatic promotion next season, I think. And now... The final league that I'm going to cover here uh, is the Serie B. Venezia, I pronounced that wrong, uh, out of Venice, are promoted to to, uh, Serie A. And this is yet another Italian club with an American president and owner going back. You know, Parma got relegated this season, and they have an American uh, owner and and president. So I guess a soul for a soul. Uh, in uh, Serie B. But I also wanted to mention one big thing, which I don't think many uh, U.S. fans have noticed, but American Andrija Novakovic was in the top 10 for goals scored in Serie B this this season. He scored 11 goals uh, as a midfielder. He's not a striker. He 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 played pretty well overall. Uh, And, you know, I, I don't I'm not sure if he's actually committed to representing the U.S. at the senior level or not, but I, I have a feeling he's not, uh, as AJ shakes his head. Uh, <laughs> and But, you know, it's kind of interesting to see all over, you know, it, it's becoming more and more common that you see uh, players with American uh, roots doing pretty well in these leagues, and that's yeah. some promising signs, at least. And for, the, for that, that's the rundown of all of these different playoffs. That's the lower league lowdown. Uh, we'll see what happens in the future if this will continue, or maybe I'll just have to find another segment to do. Yeah, I'm Jack's segments. He's had like a bunch already, but we'll, I've had like four. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll find another one for him. Uh, maybe the year, maybe a Euro rundown or something like that for yeah, for the week. Yeah, th- th- we'll that's see. very very possible. Uh, really quick on Novakovic, 
he is the hipster's choice for our midfield. Like, like U.S. Menti fans who are very in tune and very hipstery want him to uh, play for the U.S. Men's National Team. But speaking of that, let's go on to the U.S. Men's National Team corner. We talk about a big story going on in the U.S. Men's National Team world. And this week we're doing a Switzerland uh, review and a Nations League preview. So as everyone knows, the Switzerland versus U.S. game just happened yesterday when we're recording this. It's Monday, so it happened last Sunday. Uh, we came out with our usual 4-3-3, the usual starters you'd expect, but also because of injuries slash players being out. We had Horvath in goal, Dest on the left, and Cannon actually on the right. Mark McKenzie of Jenk alongside Brooks. We had some MLS players like Ewell in for the injured Adams, Legette in for Musa, and Aronson, who plays for RB Salzburg, covering for Pulisic on the left flank. So let's go over what happened that was good. Let's go over the good of the game. Well, for the first half, it was pretty decent. Our counterpress was good, and you can see the foundation of our play there that'll be filled in once we get some more chemistry under our belts. The connections between some of the players were pretty good. We were kind of controlling the game for a, a large parts of that first half. I thought Horvath, Legette, McKenzie, and Aronson were all uh, pretty good. Horvath especially made some very, very nice saves. Even Ewell, I thought, had a decent game and kind of cemented himself as a backup to Adams for CONCACAF minnows, but still maybe not good enough to be our for sure number two six. Uh, we had that Legette goal, which kind of uh, made everyone excited. I think Legette was one of the standout stars as he usually is. Um, now let's go on to the bad. And there was you know, a pretty good amount of bad. Our defensive shape was a mess. Thanks in large part to Sergino Dest, who has a tendency to get way too high up in attack, causing him to become a defensive liability. When we have our defenders up high, it leaves our rock, John Anthony Brooks, on an island. Dest needs to do better there to either track back or... Alternatively, moving on to the second bad thing I saw, uh, it, this would have all been helped if we had a player like Adams who has big brain positioning to try to close down any potential attack. That would have helped protect Brooks in the back. So either having Adams or alternatively an actual good number six backup that's uh, you know, better than Ewell, even though he was okay, I suppose. Uh, number three, Weston McKenney, Dest, Reyna, and Sargent were all kind of poor. Sargent couldn't finish. Reina had some good moments, but that's all. I talked about Dest, and McKenney has had this very uh, tendency to move ahead of the ball instead of tracking back to defend, which is not what you want for Switzerland uh, when you're playing away in their home stadium. However, at the end of the day, this is a friendly. It's a good test to see where our 4-3-3 is. I saw a lot of people freak out about the result as if we weren't missing three starters as if Switzerland were not ranked number 13 in the world, as if we weren't playing away in their home stadium, and as if we aren't still an incredibly young team, and I forgot to even add this, as if this isn't a friendly. This game is a data point on a larger trend line. So some of the trends that I did see that are continuations of something that we've seen in the past couple friendlies and games. Uh, a, Sergino Dest continually leaves his other defenders out to hang when he goes forward. B, how do we fix that? Maybe move to a three in the back, like with Miazga, Brooks, and Richards. As I've been saying, though, our center backs aren't our strongest players, and that makes it hard to be confident in a 3-4-3 or whatever three in the back position we'd have. C, what we do need is some depth at the number six spot beyond just Ewell and Acosta. Either they or another player like Otisowi need to start getting club minutes and uh, excel even more than they have been in order to cement themselves as that 
a backup. Because without Adams' smart positioning, our defense is screwed. A D, Legette is a good player, one of the best utility players we have. People keep on underrating him, but what he adds to this team as a workhorse, as someone who can cover the field, is very, very important for our uh, game. And our last trend, E, Josh Sargent needs to improve. He's known for his link-up play, but it just wasn't there this game. And sometimes he has this tendency to disappear. The connection with Aronson and Rain was just not there at all. And he needs, needs to be able to create chances because that is his role. If he doesn't, Siabachu or DK will take his place. So let's look, look forward towards the Nations League. It's an even better test because we're going to see two different types of opposition. The first opposition is our semifinal opponent, Honduras, who will sit back, bunker, and defend. Perfect for our usual 4-3-3. And this will test our chemistry and our ability to break down low block defense down, which is important because that's how most CONCACAF teams are going to play. And our second uh, opposition is going to be either Mexico or Costa Rica, who are very talented and will actually want the ball. They'll put our defense to the test as they're comfortable controlling the game, testing our midfield and our defense. This is really important because this is how most top 30 teams play uh, in the international game. They are comfortable because they are usually the favorites in any match. And we're going to have, we're going to leave the Nations League knowing if our defense and midfield is up to the test and if Burhalter can make the tactical changes he needs to make sure that they get the most out of the players and win the game. That is the U.S. men's national team corner roundup. We talked about Switzerland and the upcoming Nations League, what we should expect out of those games. Let's move on to last week's predictions. We've already covered most of these matches, but let's just go over some of them. Uh, Jack, why don't you explain the scoring system for our prediction section? Yeah, well, as always, you get 10 points for getting the result correct, 20 points for getting the exact scoreline correct, and zero points if you got nothing right. And we introduced a new rule because it is relevant this week. If you guess uh, the, the winner who wins in a penalty shootout, you get five points. So if it ends in a draw and goes to a penalty shootout, you get five points for that. Uh, that became very relevant this week. So because of that, uh, let's get into it. AJ, why don't you take the first one since it is that USMNT game? Yeah, so as I said before, Switzerland versus USA. Sebastian Lejet scored a goal. We had Ricardo Rodriguez uh, score another goal, missed the penalty in the 41st minute, and Steven Zuber scored another goal to make it 2-1 to one for Switzerland. Jack saw the light, saw Switzerland winning 3-2, to two, get 10 points. I said 1-1 one to one for 0 points. Uh, I'll also take the next one because it's LA Galaxy versus San Jose in MLS. San Jose Earthquakes threw everything in the kitchen sink at the Galaxy. They had an XG of 2.17. And for the majority of the game, players had... Uh, players The players had played hard and really put pressure on the Galaxy side. This game had an insane... 39 total shots Wow! and only one goal, an own goal. You have the only goal from this match was an own goal from San Jose's Tanner Beeson in the 69th minute. The man of the match has had to be Galaxy's goalkeeper, Jonathan Bond, who had 12 saves and kept a clean sheet. The clown of the match had to be San Jose's Andres Rios, who came in on us as a sub in the 67th minute, scuffed a huge chance and had a 50% passing Ooh. rate. Galaxy claim another victim, one to zero. Jack again saw the light. Had uh, the Galaxy win two to one for ten points. I said another draw, one to one for zero points. Jack, want to go over the Brentford and Barnsley game? 
I think that's a typo there because it's Brentford v Swansea. I think that was some wishful thinking by you when you were typing this one up. That oh, Barnsley yes. were in there. Oh, my uh, gosh. I, I tried to will it into existence. Yeah, yes, I tried we'll to. It, it was too game, late, yes. though. Uh, so Brentford versus Swansea. As we talked about, Brentford did get promoted. Ivan Tony scored his signature penalty run up uh, in the 10th minute, making it one to zero. And Emiliano Marcondes, their uh, their number 10 really he's technically number nine but he scored it in the 20th minute to put them 2-0 ahead within that first 20 minutes and then in t- in the 21st minute Ivan Tony hit off the crossbar on a crazy volley it, it looked incredible it was so close to a goal and you know it only went from bad to worse for Swansea who went down to 10 men in the 65th minute uh, with a red card to Jay Fulton for a pretty cynical tackle two foot studs up on both on both legs of the Brentford player who uh yeah that that's a straight red card in any league and it it ended up being pretty bad I saw the light perfectly and I said it would be two to zero to Brentford and I get 20 points for that AJ said that thought Swansea would score at least one he said three to one so he gets 10 points for that darn 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 we had Villarreal in Manchester United in the Europa League final well, we talked about this before. Moreno had an amazing goal to open up Villarreal's uh, score sheets in the 29th minute. Edison Cavani came back and brought it back for Manchester United, 55th minute. And then in the penalties, we had De Gea's penalty getting saved by Ruli of Villarreal, their goalkeeper. And it ended up being 11-10 to 10 on penalties oh for Villarreal. And because of our new rule... I said that Villarreal is going to win two to one. And because of that, I get five points for at least getting the winner of the penalties. Correct. Jack had it the other way, two to one for Manchester United for zero points. Jack, talk about the Champions League one last time. Oh, gladly. Uh, (laughs) So Chelsea became the best team in Europe this weekend after beating Manchester City. You know, Werner had a miss in the 10th minute. He kind of he he receives a cross, a cutback from Kai Havertz and kind of slams it against his own shin, really, uh, the ball. That w- that was a pretty bad miss, but he kind of redeemed himself drawing away Ruben Diaz to let Kai Havertz run through the middle. Mason Mount plays a fantastic through ball, perfectly weighted. Ederson comes out to try and get it. If it hadn't have been a goal, it would have been a red card for Ederson for handballing outside the box. But Kai Havertz goes over him, Fernando Torres style, in the 2012 UCL campaign and just slots it into an empty net. It was fantastic by him. Pulisic had a chance in the 73rd minute, but Ederson got big to deny him an opportunity to score and make his mark. And Mares had a pretty impressive miss. Uh... It was very close. Edward Mendy stayed rooted to to the middle, and it just barely brushed over the top corner, just barely. And in, in the end, though, Chelsea won this one to zero. I guessed that exactly. I said it would be a conservative one to zero win, and I get twenty points for that. AJ said Man City would win. He said that they were too good. He said two to zero for them. Okay. All Couldn't right. see Kai Havertz and Timo Werner and Mason Mount. Being the best uh, forward combo in the in the world, you know, and <laughs> scoring that a bit of a bit of a bit of jokes there, but yep, I get twenty points for that. And AJ, do you want to say those final scores there at the bottom of our document? I don't, but I will. <laughs> Jack finished this uh, this week with sixty points, and I finished with fifteen. So you know, it was a close game. It was a close, a close game. game. Yeah, close. Yeah, no, Jack just got so much on the money, and I just got the results wrong. 
so many times, so many times. Jack, congratulations. Uh, I've been winning recently, and you came back finally pretty, pretty big this week. Yeah, it, it was about time, and, and it came with the Champions League win, too. What a week. Ah, yeah, what a week, what a week. But guess what? I have this week. I'm getting this week down. I already all know right, that right. I'm going to get all of these correct, so let's, let's jump right into it. Let's start off with a team that you're very familiar with. That's France uh, going against Wales in an international friendly as a run-up to the Euro tournament this summer. Jack, since you are a French fan, how do you see this ending? Yeah, well, I, I see this ending with uh, en victoire pour Français, uh, a victory for France. And, you know, I, the, only re- the, the reason why is Wales are not at their best right now. You know, they, they, they can be good, but they, their defense just isn't as good as it, as, it, as it can be. And, you know, the one thing that limits France this time is they are going to be missing some important players, namely... N'Golo Conte and Olivier Giroud might not be ready to start for this one because they still have their, have yet to make their way to the French camp after winning the Champions League. So we'll see if they're ready to start in this one. Uh, but if not, could be a little bit different. I'm going for three to one for France, though. Uh, toi, uh, uh, un for France. You know, I, I think Mbappe is too good up top. Benzema will be there as well. I don't like him, but he's a good player. Uh, but yeah, I, I, but given that France's defense can be calamitous. Yeah, I'm going for Wales to score one as well. All right, all right. I also have a France winning. I think Wales, to their credit, have done a good job against teams of similar pedigree, getting the job done against Mexico, Czech Republic, Finland, and Ireland. They've notably lost to England and Belgium, which is you know the type of team that you need to beat in order to beat the likes of France. But compared to France, who've been dominant since their World Cup win, uh, I think it's clear that Wales isn't in, even in the same stratosphere. Wales have good players for the team that they are. They've punched above their weight in the last Euro tournament. But in this friendly match, I don't see a chance for them. You know, it, it is a friendly, so it, it, I would not put it past the French team to, you know, just get some minutes for some of just uh, the guys on their bench before the Euro tournament. But even the France's B team, I looked at their B team and I was like, it has the likes of Ben Yedder, Giroud, Rabio and Digne. Like France is <laughs> so stacked. Yes. I have them winning two to zero. And Jack's smiling. See, that's like the first time I've ever admitted that France is stacked. They are. I have them winning two to zero. Uh with that, let's go on to not a friendly. This is Argentina versus Chile in Conmebol's World Cup qualifiers. Very, very big game for Argentina and Chile as they look ahead to potentially a Copa America win for the maybe. Oh, one of the two of them. Jack, who do you think is winning this qualifier? Let me just quick reveal what's oh under gosh. there right there. I, I was prepared for this. I'm going for Argentina. For those of you who, I mean, you can't see the video, but yeah, I, I've, I'm wearing an Argentina shirt under this. I, I want them to win uh, just for Leo Messi's sake, really, yeah, uh, in, yeah. in, in the Copa America this summer. But, you know, Argentina are just too good right now like they they have great players they have Messi, but they also have a ton of younger players as well you know i think christian romero got his first uh, got one of his first call-ups up to the senior uh team after a stunning year at atalanta and you know they they've got on on paper they have a better squad than chile and uh no no offense to chile because they have good players as well but just it's not at the same level as argentina and because of that i think argentina are going to come out swinging and i'm going four to two I'm going Whoa. for I'm I I I I I Chile's defense just is not as solid. Argentina's defense 
isn't that solid either, but the attacks, just Argentina's is miles above. So I'm going for a high scorer. And you know what that means. You might want to change your prediction now. <laughs> yeah, I, I should go for a, a solid 0-0 zero, zero draw, jeez. But I, I, I highly, highly doubt that's going to happen because Argentina are on an 11-game winning streak. And Chile have fallen to teams in World Cup qualifiers like Uruguay and Venezuela and drew to Colombia. They're sixth in the group, and Argentina is second. That, that's not great. Squad versus squad, obviously, like you said, Argentina wins. They have Messi, Aguero, Latoro, Martinez, Correa, and from Atletico Madrid in the attack, and the likes of Di Maria and Paredes in the midfield. And now, Emi Martinez, who has coming off of a very good season with Aston Villa, is potentially in goal. That's great. And Chile have Claudio Bravo, Arturo Vidal, like Alexis Sanchez. I mean, the golden generation is reaching its sunset. It, it, the the mm-hmm, dusk is truly. upon them, and it's in Argentina. I'm, I'm not confident that it's going to be a, a thriller like you're saying. I'm just going with a, another conservative, well, not conservative, another 2-0 to zero win for the home side, Argentina. I think they're going to take this. Let's move on to Honduras versus USA in the Nations League semifinal. I kind of already talked about this, but in the past decade, Honduras have beaten the USA once. On American soil, the U.S. is unbeaten against them. Not to put it past Honduras, they have a good squad. They have Brian Acosta of FC Dallas, Albert Elise of Boa Vista, and Anthony Lozano of Cadiz. Lozano is their only player or only call-up this, this uh, window playing in a top-five European league. A lot of their squad plays in MLS or the Honduran League. On the flip side, the U.S. men's national team has players playing for Barcelona, Juventus, and just big teams in the Premier League, Liga, and the Bundesliga in general. We are missing some defender depth, and our midfield depth is lacking, especially at that number six, as I've said. But our first choice players, I think, should get it done. I think we could do it. I'll say 3-1 to one for the USA in their game in Colorado. Jack, what say you? Oh, I, I, I think that the U.S. can do this as well. You know, just on, like, like I said with Argentina versus Chile, on paper, the U.S. has a better squad. And Honduras, you know, they, they could upset them, but given the record that they have against the U.S., it's not good. Uh, and because of that, I, I think the U.S. is going to take this, especially if they have creativity in the midfield. That, that's that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a big note, uh, because that's what was the downfall in the Olympic qualifiers, uh, I believe, against Honduras as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I'm going, I, I was going to go for the same scoreline as you, but I'm going to go for, I'll go 2-0 to zero for the U.S. I, I think that, their def- that our defense can get the job done, especially if, like, not, no offense to him, but if we don't play Reggie Cannon, he didn't have his best game. This past very weekend. true, very true. Astute ob- observation. Let's hope that that happens. Let's go to another international friendly in Europe. That's Spain versus Portugal, an Iberian uh, rivalry. Jack, who is winning this matchup? Well, this is this is interesting because it, it is a friendly, but the this these are rivals. They mm-hmm. they are local rivals in, in in the fact that like they're Portugal's literally inside of Spain. It feels it looks like on, on a map, not ex- entirely, but uh, each of them have good players, but. You know, Spain is missing a lot of maybe their best players. Sergio Ramos not going to be there. Uh, you know, you're missing Lucas Vasquez, uh, a, f- a few other key players. But I feel like Portugal, I 
I don't know. Their 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 midfield lacks a lot of creativity at times, and and uh, you know they they play Bruno Fernandez as a deep line playmaker instead of a number ten. It's really confusing, and given that they've had some mediocre results in uh, in the first round of World Cup qualifying, and Spain have been very good, beating Germany six zero last November. I'm going for a two two draw between these two. I it's a friendly. They're 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 going to be playing like potentially their B sides at times. But uh, what I'm most looking forward to this game is as Piliqueta getting recalled to the Spain squad for the first time in three years. He deserves it. I want to see Dave do well. All right. All right. Spain versus Portugal. Interesting. I also have a draw. We are, I believe, four for four in terms of the results. I think we are. (laughs) I, I would change it, but I really do think that it's likely to be a draw because since 2010, this series has been perfectly split with each country getting one win and the two getting a draw twice. The biggest game between these Iberian rivals was Spain beating Portugal 4-2 in the 2012 Euros, and as anyone knows, the 3-3 thriller in the 2018 World Cup group stage. We can compare players all we want, but I think this is going to be, you know, it's it's obviously a tune-up match. We're going to have B squads there. We're going to have, like, maybe some starters, but by the 60th minute when subs get in it's gonna the the tempo is gonna change a lot i'm going with a 1-1 draw between these rivals let's finish this off with portland thorns versus racing louisville in the nwsl portland are currently uh i I believe third or fourth in the nwsl after winning the challenge cup to begin the year one big question mark for portland is with their head coach mark parsons is leaving the team at the end of the nwsl season to coach the dutch national women's team with him leaving it's not impossible for a lame duck season to occur but they're already struggling given expectations they need to really kind of pick it up after losing some two early games in the season but they have very good players like christine sinclair becky sauerbron lindsey haran and crystal dunn and that's a solid team and for racing louisville this is their expansion season it's not expected that they win silverware, but to qualify for playoffs would be huge. So this is a very, uh, I wouldn't say lopsided match, but this is definitely a David versus Goliath match. And I think when you're playing in Providence Park, I think Portland will take this, especially against an expansion team. I'm saying two to one for the Thorns. Jack, what do you say about this NWL game? Well, you know, I we're, we're going to go five for five for the same okay. results because, you know, as you said, they're playing in Portland. Uh, you, you can't get a better women's soccer atmosphere than at Providence Park. I, I, I'm sure of it. Like just everything I've seen, yeah. I've, read, I've, I've read a book that, that, that was really good describing the atmosphere. You can't get better than that. And even in a season that they're kind of in the doldrums, you know, not doing as well as, as they could, it's up against an expansion team and it's uh, with the home crowd backing them. I'm going for a 2-0 win, so slightly different than yours. I think they might shut them out. And yeah, that that that's my take on it. I, I'm going 2-0 to zero for Portland. All right, cool. Well, those are our predictions. We went for 5-5, five for five, so the only way that we're not going to tie is if one of us gets the result, <laughs> uh, or at least a couple of results, exactly correct. Jack, how are you feeling about uh, our decisions here? I actually think this is going to be the most interesting predictions because it's the it's the only one that's going to come down exactly to those scores being correct. And I think that makes it a little bit more exciting for uh, the predictions. Yeah, I mean, oh, boy, I mean, it's tough when it's international games, because unlike the club games where like things could happen, 
unless you get really into like the Euro knockout rounds where there could be some upsets, international friendlies, I feel like sometimes can be pretty cut and dry what happens. Right. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But those are our predictions. And that is the end of the final third news and predictions show. Jack, what do you want to tell our listeners? Well, as always, make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Uh, keep an eye out on there for the Euro 2020 bracket challenge. Uh, you know, at the end of the uh, the March Madness br- uh, bracket challenge, we did have a little cash prize we sent out to our our winners. So we'll probably do a very similar thing this time around. So if you want a chance at winning a few extra bucks from some college students, uh, you know, <laughs> t- uh, go in there. It's it's fun. It's a fun way to enjoy the Euros. You don't need uh you it, it's just a fun way for us to interact with uh with some listeners of the podcast and yeah, uh so join us on there. Yeah, and join us join the the Final Third Nation by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show and also following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us on. Give us a rating as well. Let a friend know that you enjoy the show. Let your dad know. I'm sure he'd love to uh hear about the Champions League and Europa League finals and what we think about them. And as always, we're going to see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive on the Euros. And we'll see you same time, same place next Monday for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.